through the book of Colossians is all for Jesus. Now, if we're going to live all for Jesus, we have to understand and know what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? Where do I need to be and how do I need to be walking in this world in which we live? I heard uh, Chuck Swindoll tell the story about a woman who was uh, debating whether she was going to go on a trip to the Holy Land. She had the time off and the time available to go. She had the money to go, but she just debated whether it was God's will or not. What do I do? What do I do? So she read the brochure before she went to bed and read all the details and realized that they were going to be flying on a 747. Well, the next morning she woke up at guess what time? 747. And she said, oh, it must be a sign from God. Now, some people are always looking for signs. And then there are some people who just give up and think, can I really ever find God's will for my life? Does God want to move in my heart and life personally and individually? And does he have a pathway for me? Well, I think the Bible shows us that God does have a will and a plan for our lives. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Colossians chapter 1. And today we're going to pick up in verse number 9. And uh, we're going to pick up and read down verses 9. And, and we'll read down through verse number 11 today. It says, for this reason, Paul begins to pray uh, for the church. And, and we'll just read part of it. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering, with joy. And with that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us today. And Lord, that our heart would be in tune with uh, your will and your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. A former pastor from the olden days, George Truitt, said to, to know God's will is the greatest knowledge and to do God's will is the greatest achievement. Now, when it comes to looking at the question of what is God's will for my life, some people believe that God's will is like a tightrope, that they have to to walk each step and try to balance and figure all of this out every step of the way and and wearing the wrong thing or stopping at the wrong place to get gas or to eat dinner is that 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 could be out of God's will. And so they live in this constant anxiety of whether I am in God's will or not. I I believe when we look at God's will, it is more like a, a, a river that there are times in that river of God's will that we have freedom. Obviously, we can pick out the clothes that we're going to to wear. And I threw this on this morning, and I thought, man, it is going to be a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? All right? Uh, so so I, uh, I, I think that, again, modest attire is fine, but if you want to wear gray or blue, I, I think that's that's fine. If, if you want to have... Uh, 
chicken for lunch today or you want to have barbecue for lunch today. I, I don't know necessarily that that within this river of God's will that that is going to be of utmost importance in your life. But I do believe that there are times in our life as we walk within the boundaries of the banks and within the current of God's uh, scripture, we're, we're walking in God's will. There are times that the river channel narrows or sometimes it even forks off and God gives us specific places that we need to be. For instance, Jonah was a prophet to the nation of Israel, and yet God called him to go to Nineveh, okay? So he's walking in the midst of God's will, and God says, look, I I want you to, to follow my direction in this way. Now, he was already preaching in Israel, and and to say, well, I'm just going to keep preaching on Israel would have not been in God's will at that time. God wanted him in Nineveh. Paul, when he was seeking the, the Lord's direction, he saw a vision in Acts 16 of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. And he goes into the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and uh, you can read the account in verse uh, about verse number 11. But around verse number 14, he meets a woman uh, named Lydia. And it says that the Lord opened her heart as she heard the things that Paul was teaching. And do you think that that... If Paul would have just said, you know what, I think I'm going to I'm going to head over to Rome right now, that that would have been okay. No, God had specific times and specific places where he showed that that his will was moving in a specific direction. So I think that there is this this aspect of, of freedom within the will of God, as long as we're walking within the boundaries of Scripture But there are times when God places a specific and certain and personal call on our life that we need to say yes to him. So knowing God's will, the greatest knowledge, and doing God's will, the greatest achievement. So let's think about this prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Paul has just uh, encouraged this church. He has said that you are saints and you are faithful brothers and you are in Christ. He has just commended them for their faith, their love and their hope. What really matters? Faith and love and hope. And then he breaks out in this prayer in verses 9 through 14. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to look at this prayer. But notice he says in verse number 9, At the middle of of verse number nine, he says, I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The picture of being filled there is that you are filled to the point of overflowing, that God has crammed, filled you, that you are overflowing with the knowledge of his will. Many people then say, okay, well, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever heard anyone ask you that question? I've had people ask me that question. What is God's will for my life? And can I tell you, that's the wrong first question. That's the wrong first question. The first question should be this. What is God's will? So this morning, I want us to think about what is God's will. Now, we know all of Scripture is God's will. But I specifically want us to think this morning in terms of some verses, there's about a half dozen of them in particular, that I want us to look at that these specifically 
say this is God's will. Okay, so let's think in in terms of of this. God's will is defined by the scriptures. God's will is defined by the scriptures. When you open the word of God, it reveals the will of God. And we ask the question first, what is God's will? Then later down the road, we'll ask the question, what is God's will for my life? So what is God's will? God's will is defined by the scripture. First off, it's God's will that you're saved. It is God's will that you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, it says that the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his, his promises, uh, as men count slackness or, or men can kind of waver on the promise that they made. But it says that he is long-suffering to us. Now, notice what it says, not willing that any should perish. So I can tell you today with absolute certainty that it is God's will for you to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So you ask the question, what is God's will for my life? The first thing is this. It is God's will that you come to know Jesus, that you have your sins forgiven, that you receive the free gift of eternal life. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4 says, God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's God's will that we're saved. Secondly, it's God's will that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, look, I don't want you to be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? Now, you see those words, what the will of the Lord is in verse number 17? So now he's going to say, and this is God's will, do not be drunk, with wine and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So when I want to know what God's will is for my life, I say, I know it's God's will for me to, to be saved. Secondly, I know it is God's will for me to be under the influence and control and working of the Holy Spirit. He draws two illustrations, or he draws the illustration of one who is drunk under the control and influence of alcohol. And he says, they act differently. They act under the control of that substance. Now, instead, I want you to act under the control and the influence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. If I had a glove here and I put my hand in the glove, that glove should move with the, the filling of my hand in it. And the picture is, is once the Holy Spirit comes in and controls and fills us, that we will move in tandem and in the working of the Spirit. Now, some of us at times are like an old leather glove that got left outside for too long, Okay. You know, we, the Holy Spirit is trying to move us and, and we, we come across pretty difficult and immovable. But the picture is, it is God's will for us to be saved. It is God's will for us to be filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, it is God's will for you to be sanctified. That means to be set apart. That means to live a holy and, and dedicated life uh, to the Lord. That you are seeking his will and walking in his direction. And specifically in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is going to deal with this in terms of the immoral society that's going around in, in their world. Notice what it says in verse number 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 
So he's saying it is God's will that your life is set apart. That what? You should abstain from immorality and that you should know how to possess this vessel, uh, that, that your body, that you should possess it and you should act out in such a way that people know that you are holy, that you are set apart. But most of all, that God would look down on your life and he'd say, look, I saved this one. And now look, they're living a life that is set apart and they are emulating and exemplifying the life life of Jesus. It is God's will that we're sanctified. Fourthly, it is God's will that we submit to authorities in our life. God has placed authorities in our life and he calls us to submit to those authorities. As we think about that in particular, we're reminded in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse number 13, and if you just, again, are jotting these down, verses 13 through 15, but notice, he says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Now, remember that Nero is on the throne at this point. For the Lord's sake, whether to kings, governors, those who are set. Now, notice what it says. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence, you're going to quiet the, the, the bad mouthers. Christianity was never meant to be a political movement. We are a spiritual movement. And even as Nero is on the throne, then we get the picture that they were to submit to the government. You say, well, what if the government tells us to do something the Bible tells us not to do? Well, in John chapter 4, or Acts chapter 4, we see the example of that very clear. As Peter and John are commanded never to preach. And what do they do? They say, we're going to preach anyway. Because we answer to a higher authority in that, in, in that moment. You can't tell us not to read our Bible. You can't tell us not to preach. You can't tell us not to share Jesus with others because we answer to a higher authority. But what Peter is saying is, I want you as believers to live as model citizens. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't vote, that we shouldn't have our voice try to be heard, those kinds of things. But the picture is, is, is Peter is, is making sure that, that the world understands that Jesus is not about being a political leader who's trying to set up a political kingdom. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to share the message of the gospel and let others see Jesus in us. First Peter also mentions and shows us that sometimes suffering can be part of God's will for our life. Now, this is a part that we often don't like to think about. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 19, it, it makes it clear. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. We don't like that part. Commit their souls to him in doing good. What's he talking about suffering? He's talking about those who are living for Jesus and are suffering persecution because of their sharing him and walking with him. Let them commit their, their souls to the, to the Lord to him in doing good. As we think about uh, Paul, and I mentioned, you know, he saw the vision of the man from Macedonia in Acts chapter 16. And he goes into the city of Philippi. And there he meets Lydia down by the, down by the water. And, and the Lord opens up her heart. And then do you remember what happens next? There's a demon-possessed girl that is agitating and continually following them and, and, and saying these are servants of, of God and... and Paul casts the demon out of her. And you remember what happened next? They're beaten and they're thrown in prison. And at midnight, 
as they are worshiping God. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30, there's the earthquake and the jailer asked the question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, it's sometimes through the persecution and sometimes through the hurt that we have our greatest witness. Think about Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1. Saul is there consenting to the death of Stephen. I don't think he ever got over that picture of Stephen looking up into heaven and said, Lord, don't hold this sin to their charge. I don't, don't think he ever got over that picture of saying, Stephen saying, I, I see Jesus at, the, at, at, the, at the, the Father's right hand. I don't think he ever got over that. I think his writing, even in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, man, I am the chief among sinners. He knew that he had done some of these things. So sometimes God allows us to go through periods of suffering in our life so that the gospel can be forwarded and our life can be sharpened. We don't like to talk about that. But understand, as Scripture lays it out, I'm just, I'm just pulling out Scriptures that say, this is God's will, okay? Lastly, when we think about praying, rejoicing, and giving thanks, that is all part of God's will for our life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, he tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. And then he says, in everything, give thanks. Why? This is all part of the same sentence, by the way. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, a verse dealing with the will of God. So it is God's will that in my life, that I am rejoicing always, that I'm praying without ceasing, and that in everything. And it doesn't say in some things, and it doesn't say in the good things. It says in everything that I give thanks. So I, I think these are the defining scriptures. Now, again, we look at the Bible and say all of this is God's will for our life. But then we look specifically and say these six areas of our life, God specifically spells out and says this is God's will. So before I start asking the question, what is God's will for my life? I have to ask myself the question, what is God's will? And when I ask myself what the, the question, what is God's will? Then I say, am I doing what I know to be doing? Because when I'm doing what I know to be doing, I think God will then, through the work of the Spirit, show me in some of those areas that there are choices and decisions to be made. But I have to look first, am I doing what I know to be doing? It's like the student that says, will the teacher give me extra credit, but I don't want to do any of my homework through the year. Okay, I'm not going to turn any assignments in, but, but you know what? I mean, it's getting close to the end of the semester. Can I have some extra credit? We want the extra credit of God saying, look, this personally, that I'm going to unfold. Listen, I'm going to give you a yellow brick road. Uh, road. I'm going to unfold a, a, a little rug for you, and you just walk. No, the picture is, as I say, what is God's will? And then I have to look inside and say, am I following God's will? Now, go back to this passage again in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9. Because we see God's will is defined by the Scriptures. It's the Scriptures. Notice what he says. For this reason, verse number 9, we also pray, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So we think God's will defined by the scriptures, 
But then we think about God's wills discerned by believers. And notice the language that he uses here in verse number nine, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, when we think about spiritual wisdom, we think about God's word, God's scripture, the application of God's will, the 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 the, the, the cleared out, laid forth for us wisdom of God that's right here. So do you want to know God's will? It's right here, spiritual wisdom. But then he not only says there's the wisdom of the the application of scripture, but then he says through spiritual understanding. And, and, and my understanding of spiritual understanding is that now God is going to speak to us about how do we specifically apply and think about this in our life. And the spiritual understanding, I think, comes in part through the Spirit. John chapter 16 and verse number 13 and following, the Spirit is called the Spirit of truth who's going to guide us into truth. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, it, it tells us uh, in, in verse number 12 and 13 that, that I think these are essential verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not on my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then notice the last of this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, what does this mean? This is what I believe that the scripture says, that God works in us through the working of the scripture, through the working of the spirit and gives us a desire to do something. A desire to do. I mean, what would possess a young lady on a mission trip to South Dakota say, man, I just feel like God would have me planted in South Dakota. And then she move up there and Karen Davis, now Karen Davis Holmes, is a pastor's wife and works with the state association and, uh, and uh, alongside churches with VBS and all of those kind of things. What's what's going on there? Why would someone leave St. Charles and go to South Dakota? This time of the year, I really ask that question, you know? I mean, like, come on now. I've, the older I get, the more it's like, uh, man, I hate being cold anymore, you know? So, so the picture is, is it's God then begin to work in us in our will, our will. So God begins to define his direction in our life and his will. What would take uh, two students that graduate from, from Missouri Baptist University and go on and do some seminary work and say, we want to plan ourselves in Seville, Spain. It's that call of God. It's that specific uh, moving of God in our life. What would make someone say, man, I really want to volunteer to help with with preschoolers or with children or with students or with adults. And some of you think, ooh, I'd never want to work there. I'd much rather, rather, rather be back in the background and how God gifts us and God moves in us and how God works within the confines of our will. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us. So when I'm facing a decision in my life, this is what I ask. I ask, am I saved? Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I sanctified? Am I submitting to the authorities in in my life? Uh, do I realize that God can sometimes use suffering? Am I rejoicing, praying? Am I giving thanks? And then I ask myself the question, what do I sense the Holy Spirit telling me to do? 
What's he given me the will to do in my life? What's he speaking to me about? What's he calling me to? Oftentimes, God can build up a restlessness in us as, as he begins to move and, and there's a restlessness that begins to rise up. And, and, and as we seek him, then, then there's this, this opening of a door or there's this new opportunity or there's this new step. It's God working and getting our attention through the Holy Spirit, his will. And remember how God's will is done in what we pray in the model prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's God's will done in heaven? It's done completely and quickly and joyfully and thankfully and fervently and passionately and completely. And so when God speaks to us and he picks up and says, look, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Macedonia. I want you to work with children. I want you to invest and connect. I want you to do this. When we feel that tug of the Holy Spirit in our life, it's God working in us that will. He wants us to do something. He works in our will. But not only do we picture the spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding, but I think there has to be an aspect of spiritual willingness. As Jesus describes and and visits with the religious leaders in John chapter 7 and verse number 17, notice what he says. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether basically it's, it's he's speaking on his own. What is he saying? Now, notice these words carefully. If anyone wills to do his will. Some people say, I want to know God's will for my life because I've got my plans here and I want to know God's plans here and I just want to pick which one's best. I'm going to weigh out which one's going to bring me the most money. I'm going to weigh out which one uh, will, will bring me the most worldly success. I, I want to weigh out which one is going to, to be the easiest. I'm going to weigh out the one that's going to allow me to live closest. I'm going to weigh out the one that that is the path of least resistance. No, this is what he says. If you want to really know God's will, then you've got to be submitted to do it. And that's what the problem with the religious leaders is. They say, oh, well, show us God's will. And he said, you're not interested in God's will. You're not interested in it at all. You want your own religious system. You want your own religious background. You don't care anything about God's will. If you want to know God's will, then you have to have a will and a desire to know it. God's will defined in the scripture. I believe that God's will can be discerned by believers. Thirdly, as we look at God's will, God's will, I think, is affirmed as God works in circumstances and God shows his confirmation. You say, now we're, we're starting to tread a little dangerous here, okay? Because people can have all kinds of different ideas on what God's will is. You know, it's God's will for me to do this. And sometimes, you know, people come up and say, I think it's God's will for us to start this ministry. I say, really, is God calling you to do that? No, but I'd like someone else to do that. You know, it's those kinds of things, okay? So, so the picture is, is now what does God put in place for us as we're seeking his will and saying, so, so here I am, all right? This is, this is the, the life of Buddy right here, okay? So I ask myself the hard questions of, what is God's will? And I say, Lord, I, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but the best of my understanding, I'm, I'm trying to submit to your will in those six areas of Scripture. And God, this is what I feel like your will is speaking to us about. And so what is the next thing that I begin to look for as I'm seeking God's will? 
And some of you uh, adults who have children and grandchildren who are going to be making big decisions in, your, in, in their life, you need to understand this. You may not have understood it. Maybe you, you have all this doubt and you know it better than I do. But the truth of the matter is, is there's a whole generation behind us that are asking, what does God want me to do? Okay? So we get and we begin to look and say, God, how are you going to affirm the confirmation of your will? Well, let me give you three thoughts on that. First off, God provides peace. Take your Bibles and look over, if you're in Colossians 1, just over one, a couple chapters to Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and were thankful. Let the peace of of Christ rule. That gives the picture of being an umpire, okay? Let, let the peace of God, the peace of Christ, be that umpire over our life. And God's peace in moving in us, guiding and directing us and saying, no, I'm in this, no, I'm, or yes, I'm in this, or no, I'm not in this. Now, my son and, and Melanie are here in the front. They're getting ready to move to seminary, which has brought back a lot of memories of when Julie and I took off to go to seminary. You know, when you, when you move to go to seminary, you go to a different city and you pack up everything you know and you leave your family and you go off, okay? So, so Julie and I did this so many years ago. So anyway, I won't tell you how long ago it was. It's a long time, all right? So, you know, there's anxiety with a move. You wonder, you know, am I going to have friends financially? Are we going to be able to make it? There's, there's all kinds of questions that, that come up. Uh, what's the housing going to be like? Are the classes going to be as good as I thought? Are we, gonna, you know, are people going to be friends to us? Or I got to find a new church? Do all these kinds of things? There's there there are anxieties that come up. But ultimately, down deep, you've got this sense of peace that you know God's in it. When Joel was a baby, uh, we were called to a church. I was pastoring in Mississippi at the time, and and we were called to a church, and uh, we loved the church. We loved the area, close to family. And uh, we went through the weekend and had a uh, 100% vote. I mean, it was just an amazing time. And yet there was this nagging restlessness in our hearts. Had meetings on Monday after, after being at church on Sunday. Went driving around the community with a real estate agent on Tuesday looking at homes. And there's still this nagging restlessness, restlessness, restlessness. And finally, I just said, Lord... This is not the peace of God ruling in my, in my heart and life. And it was late Tuesday night, and uh, I went in and told Julie, I just said, God's just not in this. And can I tell you what happened then? Peace. Peace. And then you know what we did? We went back to the last thing we knew God told us to do, and that was being pastor in Mississippi. So God allows us to face challenges and trials and even opportunities in our life. And we have to look and say, is the peace of God ruling? Is there this sense, not just of a little bit of anxiety or, or concerns about this, but is there a, a, a sense of, of restlessness that lacks absolute peace? If so, then I need to go back to the last thing God told me to do. There's spiritual peace. Not only is there, there's spiritual peace as we come to situations and circumstances like this, but there are there's spiritual people. There's spiritual people. When I'm wondering about God's will and direction for my life, there are times that I, 
uh, say, you know, this is what I've, I'm sensing in my heart and life. And this is how God's working in me. And uh, tell me. Give me your heart. I go to someone who I want to know is, is living out those six things. They're saved, they're sanctified, are spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive to authority. They're, they're going through maybe a time of suffering even. And they're, they're praying, they're rejoicing, they're giving thanks. I want to find somebody like that that will give me wisdom and direction in my life. He says, there's no counsel. The people are going to fall. I need counselors in my life. I need spirit-filled, spirit-led counselors in my life. And then he says, plans are established by counsel and by wise counsel wage war. When you pick up and move, when you have a major uh, family uh, decision, when you're thinking about changing jobs, can I tell you, sometimes it's good. Yeah, we want the peace of God, but we want some affirmation of people, spiritual people around us to say, yeah, I really do sense that God might be in this for you. There are all kinds of challenges that we face in life. And again, most of us are, are probably, you know, halfway at least on the journey. I don't plan to live to be 104, okay? So I'm more than halfway now. The picture is, is, God, I feel like this. Is there peace there? Are there people there? And thirdly, I, I want to look for spiritual pointers or spiritual markers. Is God lining other things up along the way? that would confirm his will and direction. You remember Paul, as he goes to the city of Philippi, and he goes in there, and he would be able to say, here's a spiritual pointer, here's a spiritual marker. Lydia has opened her life to Jesus. Here's a spiritual marker. This young woman that was demon-possessed is now free. Here's a spiritual marker. The jailer who was there watching over our, our prison, now he, with his own whole family has come to know Jesus. And now I look back and I see that there was a church planted there. There's spiritual markers along the way. God can show this in different kinds of ways, but I, I think oftentimes as we walk along his path, he sends a spiritual marker along that says, hey, this is the way. Continue to walk in it. I think that these three last things, spiritual peace and spiritual people and spiritual pointers or spiritual markers, really kind of set, help to set us uh, in a place where we don't do something just because we want to, just because we feel like it. Because there's been people who have felt like, hey, you know, I, uh, I, w- I want to do this, but they're not gifted and, and they, don't, they, they have a good heart. But there's some things that just aren't in place for that. And they, they go to spiritual counsel. And listen, spiritual counsel can miss it at times. There's no doubt about it. Spiritual peace can be misconstrued at times. And that's what makes this dangerous. And spiritual markers, like signs of 747, we can find things along the way. But there is a, a part in which God uses all three of these to confirm and show his direction when the river narrows for our life. So let me ask you today, God's will. I I don't know how he got you here, but I know that Ephesians 2.10 makes it clear that we are his workmanship, that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has before ordained. 
that we should walk in them. I think that shows us God has a plan. God has specific good works for us to do while we're on that plan. But we need to be in the the river of his will. And then when he narrows that thing or when he sends it off a little different direction and it breaks off, we've got to be willing to say yes. So let's go back. Do you know that you've trusted Jesus? Is the spirit in control of your life? Are you living a holy life? Your thoughts, I'm talking uh, pornography to immorality to adultery. He deals with it all in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3. Are you living a sanctified life? Are you submitting to the authorities in your life? Is God using suffering in your life? Are you rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks and everything? Because I think it starts there. And most of us have to be able to look at that and say, now, Lord, here I am. What's that next step of direction that you have for me? Some of you may not know what that is, and that's a good place to be at times because that drives us to seek him. Not just seek his plan, but to seek his face and to seek his heart because here's the key to all of it. When I have him, and when I'm close to his heart, he's going to show me the path. I love being able to go with someone where they've already gone, where they already know, and when we say yes to the Lord, that's what following his will is about. Just following where he's already gone and the path that he has planned out for us. With that, let's pray together. Lord, we've looked at a lot of verses and uh, we've dealt with a heavy, challenging topic. And Father, I pray for the discernment and working of your spirit. Lord, for those who need to trust Jesus as their savior, for those who need to surrender their life and allow the spirit to control. God, would you move? Lord, would you give us a hunger? And Father, as David prays in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Would you give us a delight and a heart to do exactly what you want us to do? In the powerful and awesome name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.